0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If I remember a fact, if I remember some explicit or declarative memory, That's gonna pull up a network of memories that that might be other facts, They might be experiences I've had. So all of these things are tied together and we need to, to remember that as we're trying to manage people's experiences and manage their memories of those experiences.
1: People remember the peak emotion that they felt and they remember the end emotion that they felt, hence the peak end rule. And therefore that emotion can, the peak can be a peak high, a positive memory. It can be a peak negative memory. Again, it's just making me think, okay? Do you need a break, Colin? Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) No, I just get excited. Yeah. So those of you that were dialing in last week, you will know, you will remember that we are talking today about memory. If you have not heard the first one in this mini-series that we're doing on memory, then I would sincerely recommend that you go back and listen to that episode, uh, which was last week, and we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go back quickly if you, if you wish, but I would really recommend that you go back and listen to that one first. So one of the things that, Ryan, that you you taught me was about fishing nets and how memories are like fishing nets. And when you told me this, I thought, bloody hell, what a great example. Yeah. So let's kick off this week with talking about fishing nets, and then let's get into the different types of memories that there are and and all those other wonderful things around why do we forget things and de- how memories decay
0: and the implications to customer experience. So tell everyone about your fishing net analogy. Sure, I mean, to to be fair, I think mostly Colin was excited about it just because he likes fishing. <laughs> I think if I'd used another metaphor name, he wouldn't have liked it as much. We, closed up last time talking about memories existing as a network structure. What that means is that no memory is isolated from all other memories. They're all kind of tied in together. I use the metaphor of a fishing net to describe one of the implications of this. So imagine a fishing net that's laid out flat at the bottom of a shallow pool. This net is our network of memories. So each knot in the net, you can think of that as a different memory, different node. What happens, so the pool, let's imagine, is our subconscious, right? So everything that's below the pool, that's our kind of our long-term memory, and it's all there in background storage. And then we remember something, and we bring it into consciousness. And so what happens there is we retrieve it from long-term memory, and then we, we pull it into our working memory, our short-term memory, so that we can use it. Well, what happens is you can imagine that that's like grabbing one of those nodes, one of the knots in the net, and then you just pull it up past the surface. And now once it's past the surface, it is now into consciousness. We now can actively remember that. But when we do that, it drags the rest of the net with it. And so what happens is we're remembering this one thing and then that may break the surface of the water. And then maybe a couple of other knots in the net also break the surface of the water. And so we may also remember related ideas. But even the ones that don't break the surface into consciousness, so that we're aware of them, they're still pulled closer to that line. They're still pulled closer to the surface. Yeah. And so even those memories that we're not explicitly remembering at this time can still be more active and they can be kind of closer to the surface and they can influence us.
1: Yeah. This is such a good analogy. So let me give you an example again of that to try to make it live for people. Yeah. I went to a restaurant that we go to fairly frequently uh, last week. Therefore, I can remember what happened last week. I can remember w- when I'm choosing a restaurant. So if I was to choose a restaurant today and I say to my wife, well, let's, go to, let's go out, then immediately I'm thinking of, well, which restaurants am I going to go to? I would think about this saffron as, as an example, but I would then also be thinking about, A, the experiences I've had there, but B, the experiences that I've had in other restaurants. And those are those interconnected things, aren't they? If Lorraine said, well, I'm not really sure about going to for an Indian restaurant, I guess what you're doing actually is pulling that net up a little bit more to explore more memories of and this becomes interesting actually, just from a location perspective, you know, because there's no point in me going. Okay, well, there was that restaurant that we really liked three thousand miles away. Let's go mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you are starting to sort of lift that net up a bit more and explore more memories, aren't you? And maybe even influenced some of those memories could even adverts that you've seen on the TV or. Memories of what friends told you on Saturday night when you uh, when you had them around for a drink, and they told you about this really great restaurant that's worth going to, or or whatever. So all of that is sort of associated with in that one decision or that one looking at that one
0: knot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I I would guess that there's a decent chance that if you pulled up this this node for you know this knot in the net for the specific Indian restaurant, you've also now pulled up surrounding nodes associated with other Indian restaurants and maybe with India itself and maybe with the neighborhood that that restaurant is in. And so now that those are more active, whether they're they're kind of consciously active or, or subconsciously active, they can influence you. So if your wife says, no, I don't think I'm in the mood for Indian food, there's a chance that now that neighborhood is more active in your memory. And so you might be more inclined to pick a different restaurant nearby, the first restaurant that you chose, which doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You should be choosing a a restaurant based on convenience to your home, and so you could go in a completely different direction to go to a restaurant. But I would suggest that there's at least a chance that making that first restaurant active might activate your memory for that neighborhood and you might be therefore more likely to remember alternative restaurants in that neighborhood now that your your mind is kind of already there.
1: You see, this is why I love debates like this, mate. Because again, it's just making me think. Okay, do you need
0: a break, Colin? Is that what you're <laughs> telling me?
1: <laughs> no, I just get excited. Yeah, because it makes me think that if you think about the fishing net, yeah. okay, you can categorise that fishing net. So as you were saying it I was thinking to myself yeah there's part of the fishing net that is in that decision about which restaurant am I going to go to and therefore which memories am I retrieving part of that could be about convenience mm-hmm. Yeah, part of that could be about location part of that could be about the time so bear with me as I, as I try to explain what's in my brain So, you're pulling up that net and you're trying to make a decision about, well, which restaurant do I go to? But as you've pulled that up, you're going, it's this time of the day. It's Lorraine doesn't want an Indian, but she would like to go for an Italian. And we would like a nice setting. And what you're doing is you're, so you're now filtering is probably the best way of describing it, isn't it? You're filtering and going, no, I don't want that memory. I don't want that memory. I don't want that memory because, you know, so there are literally like five restaurants around here that are Indian restaurants. Lorraine's already told me she doesn't want those restaurants. So therefore, you know, forget. Now, you see, that's interesting just in the language. (laughs) Forget those memories. You're constantly filtering those memories, aren't you? That fishing net and how the fishing net is constructed never
0: thought about that before but it's it's not random it it might feel like we're just kind of grab bagging stuff and we're just kind of randomly drawing from from memory it is almost certainly not the case that that's happening instead there's a a thread that is being pulled right so another way you can think about this this um, fishing net is that you are pulling one node up but the way that you're describing it Right, there's kind of a, a trace that's happening. So you might start with that one knot in the net, and then now you're gonna like pull along one string of the net until you get to another set of, yeah, of memories. Yeah, and then it. now you're gonna pull in the, in another direction yeah. until you get another set. So there's usually that that tracing that's happening along that net or that network.
1: Yeah, because you start off by going all restaurants, and yeah. then you start going Indian restaurants because yep. that's what i like and then you go no not indian restaurants yep. then you go actually it's this time of the day no we don't want to travel that far you know blah 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 basically so, yeah fascinating
0: did i interrupt you again i can't remember i probably did but you know who cares i don't th- i don't think you did <laughs> but again if we're talking about memories as patterns the pattern <laughs> would be that you interrupted me and so we'll just say that you did
1: Let's talk about how the different types of memory, because the knots can be made by different things, can't they? Do you want to
0: lead on that? Yeah. So psychologists who study this pretty quickly realized that when we talk about memory, there's actually lots of different specific types of memories that someone can have. Um, And so they, they started mapping these out and exploring them. And you can figure this out really quickly yourself. Like if you If you think about a memory that you had, a lot of times you might be thinking about like an experience that you've had, like you remember going on vacation as a child, that's a memory. But then there's also different, like you can remember facts. Like does that, that feels somehow different, like remembering the year of a famous battle in history feels like a different type of memory than remembering going on vacation as a child. So psychologists thought this as well, and so they started kind of mapping these out. So we'll we'll go through the major categories of memories that researchers have developed. So the first one is called explicit, explicit memories, or sometimes they're called declarative memories. And these are, you can think of, these are the types of memories that you would be tested on in school. So facts, dates, Times, names, these are discrete bits of information are what are explicit or declarative memories. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, absolutely. I need to learn how to use this computer, or I will need to learn this date or whatever else. And I have various techniques to do that, could be just repetitive, etc., saying the the day over again, having a test, whatever it might be, writing it down, they talk about the fact that
0: writing something down as well encodes
1: it in your memory much more, doesn't it?
0: Yes, and usually we're talking about writing down something declarative, right? So you write down your password so that you can memorize it. You, you take notes during class so that you can refer back to them later and try to encode that into long-term memory better. So all of these are are explicit memory or declarative memory. The next type that we'll talk about is implicit. So we've got explicit memory and we've got implicit memory. Implicit essentially means that we either learned it or retrieve it automatically. And so some implicit memories might be of the same type as declarative memory, so some facts, for example, might be implicit. But usually, when we talk about implicit memory, we're talking about something called procedural memory. This is kind of a memory about how things work. So when you know you talked about learning how to use a computer, there are certain explicit memories associated with that. So you, know, you might you need to remember your password so that you can type that in and get your computer started. But you also remember the order in which to get your computer started, right? So first I got to push this button, I got to wait for it to boot up and then I got to input my password and then I've got to open this series of programs and then I've got to do these things in order to get those programs up. That would be a procedural memory. Psychologists sometimes talk about scripts, which are another way of talking about procedural memory, but it's kind of the, the order in which you do things. Now, some of those are explicit. So if you've ever been trained in a job, it might be that you had a very explicit set of training where they say, first you do this, and then you do this, and here's the training manual where you, which you will reference for the first six months so that you get everything right. But most of the stuff that we learn procedurally, we kind of just pick up by doing. And so, yeah. you know, things like getting your car started, driving your car, ordering a meal in a restaurant is a, a, a common script that people have. Uh, the differences between ordering in a, in a nice sit-down restaurant and ordering in a fast food restaurant Those are are different procedures, different types of procedural memory. So all of these tend to be implicit. We tend to kind of pick them up and we also tend to access them implicitly. So you don't think explicitly about like, what is the order that I do things in, in this restaurant? Instead, it just kind of comes to you and you know what to do in that. that Sure.
1: Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions beyond philosophy's unique and proven training methodology memory maker training contact beyond philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com/contact that's beyondphilosophy.com/contact so let, let me give you some examples of those and to try to make those live for um, for the listener again great so if you go back to explicit memories okay there are websites that this is where I find it fascinating that we train customers, and this is through an explicit memory. So there are websites that I go on that I know how to use that are a bit clunky, but I now have been effectively taught. Yes, And when I go back to that website, I know how to use it because it's been a pain in the neck, basically. and And therefore, I've either through repetition or whatever else. I know that, and there's one particular website, I think I've used this example before, where I buy sheet music. And every time that I go in there, to actually go and buy sheet music, then you have to go to a certain part of it, and it's not intuitive. But I've remembered that that's what I have to do.
0: Yeah, I I think that that's a great example, right? So you've developed a procedure to handle a website that's not very user-friendly, yeah. And then if that ever changes, you know, then your procedural memory is now no longer helpful to you. So if they clean up their website so that it becomes more intuitive to use, that's probably better in the long run for a lot of customers. But it would actually cause an inconvenience for you because you have this procedural memory about how these things are supposed to go. You know, one of the consulting engagements that you and I worked on together, we went and observed workers in a, a call-in facility. This was a, for a professional service And these operators were incredibly skilled. Where they were working between several different programs all at once, and me observing it for the first time from the outside, I could tell that these were not well-designed programs. (laughs) Like they, you know, they they were all custom-made for this this company, and uh, you know, they they had to toggle back and forth between them and not share information. But they were so fast. These employees, yeah, their fingers would just fly across the keyboards, and they like. Before I could even track what was on the screen, they had moved on to something else. They had developed these procedural memories, probably implicitly over time, where they they became very skilled at this. And and that's a f- that's a kind of memory, right? That 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 has to be built up in that way.
1: Yes, and if you think about that implicit memory, now we're getting into and we're sort of straying into that something that's intuitive. Yes, and the name of this podcast, the intuitive customer effectively what we're saying is that it doesn't take effort you're doing it automatically think about the fact that you type something the fact that you're typing it you had to learn to type things but now you don't have to think about it and it's the thinking that causes a strain and causes effort and therefore that becomes the the problem from a customer experience space which is why customers want things that are that are easy but again if you think about that implicit memory to give you some again some examples of that you know it's things like where's the oatmeal in the store that we go to the mm-hmm. grocery store that we buy things from i always remember i i was doing some work in washington dc and i was flying from tampa to washington and i had to go via atlanta because i always fly delta when I got to um, Washington, my colleague that uh, worked, lives in a, uh, the same type of area basically said, oh, you know, how did you get up? And I said, well, I Delta. And he said, oh, he said, Southwest fly direct. And I went, oh, blimey, I didn't know that. But the point I'm making is I implicitly chose Delta because that's what I've been trained, if you like, to do. And that's the advantage, okay? The advantage is that if you've built uh, that implicit memory of how to do things, and then people are doing it without even, in quotes, thinking about it. But that takes repetition that, you know, and you, the the good news for
0: Delta is I hadn't even considered looking at another airline and just went, went with that. Yes, and you've used that example before uh, when talking about habitual responses and talking about habit yeah and that's a circle i want to close here where implicit memory is where habits are stored so habits don't exist outside of memory right we, we remember yeah. that procedure you remember that oh you know i i, I buy my airline tickets from delta that yeah. was not inborn into you you had to learn that yes and so it habits also are a kind of memory And a lot of times they're best considered as this procedural implicit memory, where even if it took you effort to learn it, like typing or like driving, now it's in there implicitly as these procedures that you can access, and you access them automatically. And that's why I find this subject so fascinating. And as as we learned in
1: the first episode of this mini-series on memory, you're totally right. I mean, it defines you, doesn't it? Yeah. So it defines the habits that you have that are built up through memory. The challenge becomes from a customer experience perspective is if you don't understand your customers and therefore you haven't built up that habit, which they are then remembering. So an example of this is we were, Google are changing from G Suite to Google Workspace. So we've had G Suite for ages, you know, years. And now they're changing to Google Workspace, which is effectively the same thing. It's a bit of rebranding and add, adding to things, but they were asking a load of questions the the other day, and I went on to the to their website, and because I don't understand all the technical detail and and what a number of these things mean, it made me go, "This is now really quite a painful procedure," yeah, yeah because I don't understand it. But once you've done it once and you've gone through that pain, to a certain extent, it's that pain that makes you learn,
0: isn't it? It absolutely can be, yeah.
1: And, and another example is um, uh, I was uh, around babysitting for the grandkids the other day. One of my grandkids stood on a Paw Patrol toy and it shot out from underneath Speaking
0: her. of pain, I, I do know what Paw Patrol is in <laughs> I have kids myself. <laughs> as she stood on this paw patrol
1: tour it shut out from underneath her and she fell over and hurt herself and my immediate reaction was although i didn't say this but my immediate reaction was she'll learn from that that's she, that's true. she, she won't do that again i obviously
0: cuddled her and everything else uh, because i learned that's what grandparents do mm-hmm. listening to this episode your your children are learning not to leave their grandkids with you um, Correct, yes. yes. We're all learning today. Oh.
1: We're also all learning that Paw Patrol toys are dangerous. Yes. No.
0: <laughs> when stood upon. <laughs> but no. But no, you're right. Like, that's, that's part of reinforcing learning when we we're kids, is learning what is safe and not, in part, through pain. And we want to minimize that humanely to the extent that we can. But yes, the point remains. I have to say, and I've talked about this with my daughter
1: Sometimes you've just got to let the kids learn that way they have, not you? Yeah. You, I mean, and, and again, if you think about the things that people say, they've got to make their own mistakes. That is effectively saying they've got to make their own mistakes so they can learn from it. But again, that's stored in, in memory.
0: So do you want to go through episodic and evaluative? Sure. So we talked about explicit. We talked about implicit. Uh, episodic is another form of memory. So this is self-referential episodic. You know, if you think about like, th- this would be if explicit is the type of, of memory that will help you pass a test in school. Episodic is the type of memory that would go into your journal, uh, into your diary. So yeah. here you're, you're, it's episodes within your life. So if you are concerned about managing customers' experiences, experiences are episodic. If I think about uh, you know, the last time that I went shopping or when I went on vacation or playing games with friends, all of these are episodes, and that's a different type of memory.
1: I recently did a speech in Finland, and I'd never been to uh, Helsinki before, and it was a lovely place, but that's now a sort of an episodic memory. I bet. It then made me, when I went to do the speech and as I was thinking about doing this podcast, it then made me realize that I then have a sort of a procedural memory of how to do a speech. Like get there early, always check your slides, because I've I've done presentations and even when you're emailing them, something happens to them. Check the sound, meet the people, etc. So there are things that you do all the time that again are stored in memory as well, aren't
0: they? Yeah, and I, I love that you brought up two different discrete types of memory that happened during that experience, right? You had this episodic memory of traveling to Finland and being in Helsinki and what that was like. You may have had, you know, another episodic memory of the speech itself and what that experience was like, but you also have this procedural memory of how speeches go, right? I think that that's a very clear example of those two.
1: And I think you could tie that into the next piece, which is evaluative memory, isn't it? And this is the whole
0: peak end rule that we've uh, talked about yeah so this is your favorite type of memory right it is so a lot of these previous types of memory that we've talked about explicit implicit episodic they're ways of describing what is remembered evaluative memory is a little bit different in that it describes how it is remembered or in other words how you feel about it so this is how you you evaluate memory so you're looking back now on a memory usually an episodic memory And you're now evaluating that memory. So you have an episodic memory of how that speech in Helsinki went. That's a series of kind of descriptors of the event itself. I can now ask you, how did that speech go? And now you're looking back on that memory and evaluating it. So evaluative memory is is the context in which we talk about the peak-end rule, which I know that's your favorite memory construct. So why don't you tell us about the peak-end rule?
1: yeah so peak end rule was uh, uh, Professor Kahneman again, and what Kahneman talks about is the fact that people remember the peak emotion that they felt and they remember the end emotion that they felt, hence the peak end rule and therefore that emotion can the peak can be a peak high, a positive memory, it can be a peak. A negative memory so it raises some really interesting questions which again the regular listener would have heard me say but are worth repeating which is questions like if we're talking about emotions and remember the peak emotion remember the end emotion then what emotion are you trying to evoke it questions like well which emotions drive most value to you i'm not going to spend hours talking about this because i'm doing a bore the regular listener which emotions drive most value to you? Where is the peak emotion in your experience? And one of the key phrases that really turned me on to this whole area of memory was probably ten years ago when I was watching a, a YouTube video uh, from Kahneman. and again we'll stick a um, we'll stick a link in the show notes to this. And one of the things he said there, which just always struck me was we don't choose between experiences we choose between the memory of an experience Mm. and I think that is just so significant for customer experience professionals and people looking to improve their customer experience that the irony is that it's not the actual experience it's the memory of the experience that is key. And I think therein lies a really interesting sort of nuance that I think is gonna be important. So that's peak
0: end evaluative memory. Did, did I get that right, Ryan? Yeah, that was great. If we are, and we'll talk next time about, you know, how things get stored and retrieved in, in these various types of memories. Let me tie this back together with the fishing net. So if we've got these these networks of memories, there's not separate fishing nets for these different types of memories. So, if, if I remember a fact, if I remember some explicit or declarative memory, that's going to pull up a network of memories that, that might be other facts, they might be experiences I've had, they might be evaluations of those experiences. So, all of these things are tied together, and we need to, to remember that as we're trying to manage people's experiences and manage their memories of those experiences.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, the fishing net analogy, I love it, love it to bits. And therefore, just remember that there are these different ways that memories are formed. And by definition, therefore, when you start to think about how do we actually manage these memories with our customers? We're going to draw it to a close because, again, we could rattle on for the next four hours about this, but we're going to do another show next week continuing on the theme that should be the last one that we do on this mini series on on memories and we're going to be looking at things like how are memories stored and what some techniques to to help you do that how are memories retrieved and a whole subject which I again I'm starting to find fascinating is is about forgetting why do we forget things and again then ending it up with a bit of a debate about the whole area of the, the so what which is So this is all interesting stuff, but what does this mean practically for a a customer experience? So we hope this has been of of use. If it has, please, can I ask you to drop us a line? This is the first time we've done this sort of mini-series type approach. Please drop us a line with your your thoughts, good or bad, to contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And just let us know whether this um, mini-series approach has been useful or, or not. We look forward to talking to you next week. Okay, cheers.
0: This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.